looking. Deep pattern. Downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, oh yeah, it's a football Friday and a fan Friday. We're going to have John Kinjemi on for the last word on Dolphins at Bills. We'll get to the college three-pack. We'll pick some NFL games and tell you about Jacoby's Halloween event from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. All right, so if you have not seen it already, Jacoby Brissett hosted kids from Alex's place at Sylvester Center for a special Halloween fashion show with his teammates. And if you guys haven't seen the photos from all these costumes and the guys really making some days and, and some weeks and even years and lifetimes for a bunch of kids... Go check out our socials. Go check out MiamiDolphins.com for tons of smiling faces. Who doesn't want to see a kid smile? There's tons of it all over the place, and the Dolphins players did a great job getting out there and not just being out there with the kids, but really embracing the entire event and really interacting with the kids. And You can see some videos of Tua and Liam Eichenberg dancing on stage with some kiddos. It's, it's a, a great Great little thing they did, a great event they did. And, you know, I, I talked about or I wrote down some, some of my favorite costumes here that I saw. I couldn't see them all, but some of the ones that I saw that I thought were great. First of all, back to Liam Eichenberg. Him up on stage as Buzz Lightyear is, for some reason, just looks right to me. But also the dance moves, like, I, I don't think Liam's a father, but from one dad to a, a possibly future father, you got the dad dance moves down, Liam. They're looking great out there, my man. And then Tua as Woody was great. He talked about that. At his press conference on Wednesday, dressing up as Woody from Toy Story to go along with uh, Buzz Lightyear there. Jalen Waddell as Elmo was fantastic. Blake Ferguson as a Teletubby. Rob Hunt as a pirate, the scariest looking pirate I've ever seen. And then Jacoby Brissett as, at first I thought maybe Paw Patrol, but I don't think that's what it was. He had a fireman's hat on and a Dalmatian costume and a great smile with all the kids there too. So again, go check out the Miami Dolphins socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, also MiamiDolphins.com. Tons of smiling faces. Really cool for these guys to get out there and go do that. All right, it's Friday. You know what time it is. Let's get my guest in here, John Kajemi. And joining us now, as he does every single Friday here on Drive Time, is my friend, my press box neighbor, my key lime pie buddy, John Kajemi. How you doing, man? I'm up to about 230 pounds, Travis, and going <laughs> north uh, with this key lime pie. I think I double dipped again. Uh, I tried to break uh, my routine so it would bring some good luck to the Miami Dolphins, but uh, it did not help in the end. But it, it got us close in the fourth quarter with that nice comeback. Uh, it just didn't hold. Two minutes away from victory there. and Maybe maybe the third key lime pie is the key next time around, John. I'm not sure what That's the case is. That's pushing it. That's pushing it. Hey, on the, topic of, on the topic of press box food, so help me figure this out because I think I'm, I'm still a little bit new in this area. So I always get to the stadium and I go have lunch that they, they provide for us, always really good food. And then they have that halftime like snack, right? Like it's either chicken strips or hot dogs or something to that effect. I always find myself not hungry enough to eat at halftime. And then after the game, when I have to do a two-hour post-game show and a podcast and have about four hours where I can't eat, I'm starving. What's the best way to attack that? 
Well, I think the bear, uh, as you look at an animal, has it down pretty good. They, they <laughs> eat as much as they can, and then they go into hibernation. That's what we do on Sundays. We, we have to consume as much as we can in terms of water or whatever your beverage of choice is, coffee, and then eat, because you're not going to see food for probably six or seven hours after that. So that's the mentality I've always had. Eat even though you're not hungry, because you know you're not going to get anything till about nine o'clock that night. I wrote that down. That's great advice, something that I haven't been doing for two years now. I'm going to do it at the Houston game next Sunday. But, John, we have a game coming up this Sunday on the road. Tough opponent, and I want to go ahead and dive in here and talk about this football game with you. I talked about this on my Thursday show, and I just wanted to get a better sense of it from your perspective. Because the last time these two teams played, you know, Tunga Vailoa played two series, and they were they were just full of blitzes, disguised blitzes, delayed blitzes, ultimately pressures, hits, and sacks on our quarterback and eventually knocked out of the game. How can Miami overcome what Buffalo will certainly do again, right? I would think so. I think you may see it at some point. I don't know if it's going to be right away in the first quarter on the first couple of series like we saw at Hard Rock Stadium. But the way to get away and remedy that, I guess, is identification, it's communication, and it's going up tempo. Because if as a defense... They want to be unpredictable. They want to put the pressure on your offensive line, your center, your quarterback to be able to identify, to identify, put a big guy on a big guy, put the running back on a linebacker or a safety. And they want to make your quarterback think about a lot of things pre-snap so that it confuses him and it takes him down on the play clock where he feels rushed or he feels hurried. And I think Buffalo, the Bills did a really good job of that in the first game. I think it was six sacks. In the combination of, of, of Tua and Jacoby, I, I think they had multiple hits. I know when Jacoby was in the game, he was flush from the pocket quite a bit. He had to extend plays with his legs. So I think it all starts up front. Center identification, a lot of talking with that offensive line, either getting in and out of the huddle quickly or being able to go up tempo so you can keep the Bills a little bit more predictable and put the pressure back on that defense. And then you have to be able to make them pay. If they're going to blitz and they're going to come after you, you have to be able to hit a chunk yardage play down the field. You have to get that explosive play somewhere in that series because you know what that does? That's like spraying off when the mosquitoes around. They all go away. (laughs) You know, those drives go away. Those blitzes go away because you've been able to expose them for, for coming after you. And that's the greatest satisfaction a coordinator can have, a quarterback can have, an offense can have, come on after me because I got something for you. And if you don't make them pay, that will continue to persist on the defensive side. Yeah, that well-timed screen, that well-timed, when you get a two-way go from your slot, maybe he wins off the release immediately and you get the ball downfield. There's ways to do it. And I'm glad you made that a point of emphasis. That was one of my points of emphasis as well. And I do feel like this team is more equipped at this stage than they were early in the season to kind of be more aggressive because we've seen it with the quarterback now at this stage. I mean, Tua's throwing the ball down the field with accuracy and precision right now, and he's, he's having good success in that intermediate area. And I thought one of his best throws of the season, really of his career, was that throw to Mike Gesicki to get that uh, first touchdown drive of the fourth quarter sparked, kind of falling away to his right, throwing back to his left. I think we're, we're in store for some more progression in that vertical game like you mentioned there this week or otherwise. I do think we're going to see it. And I'm glad you mentioned that, John, because the other part off that I wanted to kind of ask you about was, you know, Buffalo played 
the RPO concept last time. I thought so well. They, they would they would blitz into the face of the back and force Tua to make a quick decision, and then they would they would fill that slant route to Devontae Parker or whoever the heck it was that was running that route at the time. So what's a good counter to that? If they're going to play up, is it the shot play? Is it going vertical? How do you counter off of that RPO look where they pretty much took out every option you had on it? Well, I think you can do it by running the football. You know, remember the first part of the RPO, right? It's the run. And if you're in man coverage and you've got tight corners and they're squatting on that quick slant or whatever the route may be, maybe it's a stop route or a quick out, you have to be able to run the football. That means the offensive line needs to do their part. That means Tua needs to do his part in controlling the edge rusher or the edge defender against the run. If Tua can pull the football and get five, six yards, get down on the turf, that's a win. That, that's why you have the RPO in. And the second part of that is once you get that run game and get Tua on the edge and they're not really pressuring uh, upfield with that de- edge defender, you kind of hit that double move. Maybe it's a, a slant and go, that sluggo route up on top, and you take a shot at it. Or maybe it's a rub route with a combination on that side that, that can build off of the RPO. There's a lot of things you can get to, but it all stems back to the first part of why we call it that run-pass option. You have to be able to run the football, just the threat of it, without anything backing it up, doesn't really make that play all that successful. So you have to be able to give them a little bit of run, both running back and quarterback. That'll get people off the line of scrimmage or bring more attention, and that's where you get the double move on that slant and go, or you can get use a little rub route with a combination on the outside. Yeah, I, I do feel like, you know, having two uh, with the design run as far as, you know, you put the ball in the belly of the running back, the defensive end crashes, the quarterback goes out the back of the gate there. That's that's going to be a help a helpful element, I think, this time around. Two of four for 29 last week on the ground. Uh, let's see, three for 22 in the Jacksonville game. He had the rushing touchdown against the Patriots back in week one. So he's been very effective using his legs to create plays, both designed and scrambling when things kind of break down around him. So that's the offensive side of the ball, John. Great stuff there. On the defensive side, I think Josh Allen right now, given just Patrick Mahomes' current struggles, I don't think it's going to last or anything. But I think right now Josh Allen's the best quarterback in the NFL. I would I would put my name <laughs> to that. Uh, and even though it was a 35-point blowout, he had his worst statistical day of the season and really against the Dolphins going back to his rookie season because he's played so well against this team. How does Miami replicate that success against Josh Allen, just the passing game of the Buffalo Bills? How do they replicate that success this time around? Well, I think, you know, it has to be a two-way street. You have to be able to create some pressure in the pocket, and it has to be mirrored up with coverage. You know, we talked about that last week against Matt Ryan and all the weapons that they had. And, and you saw at times, you know, when pressure was around Ryan and the coverage was decent, it worked out pretty well. But when he had time and he was able to select his man-to-man coverage uh uh, maybe a mismatch for him, or he felt like it was in his favor. He threw he threw perfect passes, and it beat really good coverage. Yeah. So I think with Josh Allen, the same principles apply. You have to be able to pressure the pocket, but you cannot allow him to escape. That that's been the biggest thing that has hurt the Miami Dolphins over every outing that we've played against Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills. He's been able to escape. He's been able to use his legs, maybe not so much in the first game uh, this year, but in the prior five or six contests, yes. So number one, you have to be able to close the net on Allen. You have to be able to limit his running ability uh, ability because that generates momentum and extends drives for the Bills' offense. So it's pressure, it's tight coverage, 
and it's not allowing Allen to extend drives on a third and six where he gets 14 or a first and 10 when you have him on a stack and it ends up a negative play ends up being a positive play. And now they have another first down and they have momentum. That's the biggest thing I see when you're facing a big, strong quarterback. He can make all the throws, obviously, but when his time is limited, the coverage matches up and you don't let him escape with regularity. That's why he, that's why he struggled in the, in the game against us. I thought pressure matched good coverage. He didn't run crazy. He maybe had 30-some yards, I think, on the afternoon. I'd have to go back and check. I think he had uh, maybe 57 yards. He was averaging. He had around 40 yards in the game. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't crazy, but it was enough to keep them alive, to keep drives alive. That's what the Dolphins need to to limit on Sunday. And really maintain their their rush lane integrity, right? Because the worst place to be on the football field is behind the quarterback. And actually, if you watch the strip sack, or I don't know if it was actually a sack, it might have been beyond the line of scrimmage at this point, but uh, Ogba's forced fumble, he winds up behind the quarterback and great effort to get back into the play on Matt Ryan. But against Josh Allen, you're not going to flag him down. So you have to really yeah. stay in front of him and not let him escape that way and, and hope to catch him from the backside. So that's a great point. And then kind of to follow up on that, John, you know, we saw... I think I talked about this in the preview podcast, how I'm I'm willing to accept, you know, sacrificing on run defense to really try to put a stop to the passing offense because what can hurt you more? Obviously the passing game, right? But you can't be too vulnerable against the run. And we saw the, I think it was the Bills either first play of the game or maybe this is their second series where they came out there and had a 49-yard touchdown rush from Devin Singletary. Do you try to, how do you, I guess my question is how do you, how do you take care of both? Like, is it lesser of two evils? Pick your poison. Is there an option to take out both of the running game and the passing game here for Buffalo? No, I don't think so. I think everybody has a job to do. You know, those defensive linemen, that front seven, they're run first. They're not going after the quarterback. They need to stop the run. They have, you know, all their rules and all their principles built into every defensive scheme that they're going to run on Sunday. So it's, it's, actually, you know, gap identification and integrity, just doing your job, not somebody else's. I think that takes care of the run by itself sometimes, because if you're not letting that, that other big human move you against your will, and you're, you're kind of in your spot and doing your job, boy, it's a stalemate. And we'll t- and on defense, you'll take a stalemate. You don't always have to win. It, it's about creating a stalemate, and not getting beat up front, because those things create issues. That's what that in my opinion, what creates huge lanes. And, and to your point, that's when Devin Singletary went 46 yards. I think it was the second play offensive play the Bills had. It was a two-play drive, yeah. and it was 7 nothing, and it took you know all of 46 seconds. Uh, so it was one of those things where you know, right off the bat, you, you get caught and you create a, a huge lane. I, I think he went in untouched. That, that's a problem. That, that kind of you know, you're running back to the sideline going, we're, what happened? we're down seven nothing. I didn't even create a sweat. So those are the, those are the types of things on defense. Do your job, have gap integrity, take care of the run first. And the other stuff, you know, there's other guys to get to the quarterback, but that interior needs to do their job up front. That's a good point. And interesting. Cause I, I asked, uh, I think it was Josh Boyer this week about kind of the uptick in Christian Wilkins' production. He said that his comfortability and familiarity within his fundamentals and technique within the scheme allows him to take a little bit more chances. And we've seen him have, obviously, a, a kind of breakout year here in year number three. We'll need that from him and Adam Butler and Zach Sealer, Raekwon Davis, Jerome Baker, Landon Roberts, the entire crew needs to step it up this week against the Buffalo Bills. And that brings us to our final question here before the mailbag, John. The Dolphins will win if? 
if they can keep the Buffalo field, uh, Buffalo Bills on a long field. Um, last last game out at Hard Rock Stadium, first two drives, the Bills had it on the four, plus 46 and the minus 48. Uh, you know, Singletary, we talked about the, the run on the second play uh, from the line of scrimmage that the Bills had at 7 nothing. And then on that next drive, Allen scrambles on a third and, third and six for seven yards. And then it's a shot play to Sanders for 35 that leads to a seven-play 52-yard drive. And it's 14 nothing, you know, and, it, and it, that can't happen. You have to be able to keep the Bills on a long field. Now, whether that's, you know, kickoff and the Bills get it started at the 25, that's great news. But you can't give them a free first down or a first down and a half where they start on the 35 or 40-yard line couple first downs, they're in scoring position. You know, they're, they're, they're across the 50-yard line. So it has to be one of those games where you win with the kicking game, you win with a couple of three and outs early, you keep them on a long field, and that extends the game in the first half and doesn't get it to where it's 14 nothing. You feel like it, it's an uphill battle to start. So that would be my first key. Secondly, you have to keep Tua clean. Yeah. Six sacks in game one, although he wasn't in there for them, they were able to get to the Dolphins quarterback in Jacoby Brissett. I think you need to keep Tua clean. What does that mean? Can you can you have some balance on the offense? Can you run it with the RPO? Can you run it just going north and south? And can you convert on third down? Can you find those plays that keep your offense on the field? So I think communication, identification, it goes back to the Bills trying to get after the Dolphins in that first game. Can you identify? Can you communicate? Can you get the ball out on time? And you can, can you have better execution from guys like Jackson and Davis, even though they're maybe in different positions, they still have to execute at a higher level. And thirdly, I think you need to take advantage of the explosive plays. Uh, the Dolphins were down 14 nothing in that first game, but you had a drop by Parker in the end zone that was clearly going to be a touchdown. You had a catch and a, and a run after catch with a fumble in the red zone that was going to lead to points. You know, the score was just a two-touchdown game then. So if you can take advantage of the plays you're going to make down the field, that's going to, you know, return serve to the Buffalo Bills because you know they're going to get theirs. They're going to get some plays. And I would caveat onto that, Travis, the defense has to find a way to get off the field on the first series of the second half. (laughs) They've given up plays to everybody except Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay didn't need points. They were already up 24-10 at halftime. But they've given away a touchdown, I believe, in five of the six other outings, and it's been a field goal to the Patriots to start the third quarter in game number one. They have to find a way to turn that tide. If they continue to give up points, all it is is a drain on the team. So they have to be able to do something positive in a positive manner. You know, get a strip sack. Get, get, get off the field three and out. Just don't give up some points to start the second half. That was one of my keys of the game. The middle eight minutes of the game is, is be better in that area because it's been tough so far for the Dolphins this year. And I'm also glad you mentioned the keeping Tua clean. You know, when he played in this game last time, two series, two sacks. Now the two games back, he's taken one total sack over the two games. So hopefully that's a sign, positive sign of things to come here for Tua Tungavailoa. And we talk about the offense pretty significantly there. On the mailbag here, John, the first question's about defense. It's from at SAFC Know-It-All. He asks, the Bills have had success on Miami he's banned coverage what can the defense do to fix that well we talked about you know creating some type of pressure and we talked about having better coverage now you've got some playmakers on the other side obviously I mean Stefan Diggs is going to get his right he's going to get his opportunity Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders they're going to they're going to pick and and Gabriel Davis they're going to pick you know around the defense but it all starts 
up front. Can you can you tighten the, that net on Josh Allen and make him feel a little bit uncomfortable where he's looking to escape instead of hanging in that extra half second, you know, to to a second that he's going to be able to give his guys a chance down the field. If you can alter that timing in any way, it's going to help. It's going to help you maybe force Josh Allen to be inaccurate with his throw down the field, or it's going to help coverage for that half second more. So, you know, either the ball's going to come out early or it's going to come out late. You just don't want it on time with a high rate of frequency. So any combination of that can help that man coverage down the field. And that's your defensive question. We're going to go right back to the offense here, John. At Michael Shroom 64, have you noticed any real growth from the offensive coordinators as it relates to play calling and adjustments? And before you go in on that real quick, John, last week I mentioned the Miles Gaskin touchdown reception. It was one of my favorite plays the Dolphins have called this year because it kind of worked off of the jet motion look that Jalen Waddell has scored on a few times this season. And then they, they basically flooded that area and got some false steps and then two threw back to the other side. I thought that was great play sequencing. What say you? I do too. I, I thought it was awesome. And I think all you have to do is look at the numbers uh, over the last couple of games, the way Tua has thrown the football. Um, he's thrown for 329 and two touchdowns. He had four touchdowns against the Falcons, uh, high rate of, of completion percentage. They got a little bit better running the football. So I think that it's a little easier for a coordinator to call plays with confidence, take, take chances, take opportunities. When you know you're getting a little bit more, you're getting a little bit more continuity in execution. You're getting more consistency with, Hey, we're starting to stack plays together. Now I don't feel too bad about going off the board and letting Tua, you know, live with this play. You know, this, this might be the time to, to hit Kasiki down the rail or, or find him in man coverage or let him sit down in zone over the middle. Or, or take a chance over the top here. I'd like to see Waddle get involved a little bit more, maybe vertically down the field. But I do think you're getting more consistency from Tua. I thought he played really two solid games minus the turnovers. you got to eliminate that, obviously. But he's been playing at a high level, so you're able to get to more of your offense. And I think that trust factor is coming in. And it also helps that the Lions played a little bit better over the last two weeks with the different combinations they've had. Absolutely. They've given them a little bit more time, and they've been able to run the football. And all those passes to Gaskin and, and Aukman, those are all extensions of the run. Those checkdowns, those little flat flare plays, those are all extensions of the run. So it's nice to see that becoming a little bit bigger part of the offense where you don't have to really line up and rely on moving people. You can, you can go RPO, you can go check down, you can do some screens. And that's all an extension of the running game. Yeah, you mentioned Tua there. A third straight good game from him, especially doing it in that building where, you know, Dolphins quarterbacks just have not had a lot of success in that building, even going back to the Marino days. Like, it's kind of been a house of horrors for this Dolphins offensively in that Orchard Park building there. So hopefully a third straight good game offensively will get some good positive juju going into the second half of the season. Our last question here, John, we hit the offense, we hit the defense. At Darth Gator 007, what a great handle that is, asks, under Flores, the Dolphins had the fourth fewest penalties in 2019 the third fewest last season in 2021 they have the 10th most how does this stat change so drastically and can they get back to where they were well when you're struggling as a football team there's a lot of things that that happen you know there, there's a lot of reasons you know it could be turnovers it could be penalties that, that we're talking about now it, it could be just missed assignments a lot of things happen your concentration goes to other places and 
you're worried about patching up a lot of different things when the fundamentals of the game are lost. And I think sometimes when you're on a winning team, when things are rolling, you don't, you know, those things come automatically because your concentration is so pristine. And I think sometimes when things, when that ball is rolling the wrong direction, you're thinking about 10 other things. And instead of what you should just be honing in on your fundamentals, your discipline, all those things kind of get lost in the shuffle, no matter how much you harp on it at practice, no matter how many times you talk about it in a meeting, there's just other things that take paramount when the lights come on or you're out at one o'clock and you go, okay, I've got two plays called on offense. I'm an offensive lineman. Um, the first one was, you know, on, on one or on the first sound, they've killed it. Now I've got to go to plan B and you just lose your train of thought for a split second and you have that false start or, you know, you have that pre-snap penalty. Those things creep in and get contagious when you're not winning football games. I think that's kind of creeped in a little bit to where the Miami Dolphins are right now. They didn't expect to be, you know, nowhere near one and six. They didn't expect to have this role going in the opposite direction. And I think sometimes human nature takes over and you make mistakes. You make more mistakes than you would if you were on a pristine assignment. You're on a four game winning streak and you're you're crystallizing everything. I, I think sometimes that bleeds into teams. I think you just perfectly explained why, you know, football can be such a volatile sport. Like there's so many things that can pop up that you, if you don't nip them in the bud right away or take care of them on a, on a day-by-day basis, on a walkthrough by walkthrough, meeting-by-meeting basis, they can have an impact and those couple of plays can, can ultimately determine whether or not you win or lose the football game on Sunday. So great insight there, John. I really appreciate that. I think I have the key for the, the turnaround here as regards to the key lime pie. I complained the last couple of weeks about minimal whipped cream. I'm bringing the can of, of Ready Whip with me this time. I'm going <laughs> to blow up my own whipped cream on that thing, and we're going to get it cranking the right way. But that's next week, John. Bill's coming up on Sunday. Appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thanks a lot, and be well. Oh, thanks, Travis. I'll be looking forward. I might have to go. Uh, I might have to go into the third key lime if we have a lead in the second half for sure. <laughs> We're going to be taking pulls off that whipped cream can uh, all, all game long there. So looking forward to it, my friend. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Sounds good, Travis. Thanks. All right, so there he goes. Let's get to a few more of these mailbag questions here from y'all. Appreciate you guys putting those in. It really means a lot to give us some content here on the show. And I want to hear from you guys and, and make the podcast you know, yours as well because we're doing this for, for us, for me, but mostly for you guys out there. So I appreciate y'all putting the questions in. I want to start with the Apple podcast reviews because we haven't gotten to those in a couple weeks. This one here from Burr Cheesy, the best. Five stars, he says. After Sunday's loss to the Jags, I told you guys we skipped a week on this, I couldn't bear to listen to anything Dolphins related, but by Thursday I was ready and started binging this week's drive time, and man, did Travis ever deliver. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Talked about the monologue of Monday's show was perfect. Travis is a true, true fan and feels the pain like all of us. He had the right words and attitude that I needed to hear. Then it was right back to breaking down the team, including great sound bites from the coaching staff that you don't always get on other Dolphins podcasts. Awesome stuff, as always. Travis, keep it up. Keep it going. Hopefully the team matches your production on the field here soon. Thanks for being a great voice of Dolphins Nation. Fins up. Well, I appreciate that very, very much, and I, too, hope to see some wins here coming down the pipeline very, very soon. Let's go back to the Twitter mailbag and this first question from at Rakeho1. Seeing where we are with defense, where do we attribute most of the problem relative to 2020? Is it due to parting way with any of the veterans like Van Noy, McCain, Godshaw, or has it more to do with scheme change or simply execution. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with all of it. It's a, it's a collection of all of those things, I think. I mean, you know, we talked with John about the volatility of football in general, how 
the sample size of games isn't always going to give you a good indicator of future success. And that's true for most sports, but football for sure. So you can have, you know, whether it's a coaching change or a player change or a, a different call or different, whatever the case may be, there's so much that goes into the pot that creates the ultimate game plan for a game on Sunday that one or two bad ingredients can shift things and get you a completely different result. So I just think that this team is is close to victory in a lot of these games. I know the production from a, a yardage and points and all that stuff standpoint hasn't been great, but it's not like they're completely uncompetitive. And so I just think that you're looking at a situation where the team hasn't played as well as we thought they would across the board, really, like Coach Flores says. I think the coaching hasn't been as good as we thought it would be, like Coach says, again, across the board. And then just kind of some of the plays that go against you. I mean, a couple of couple of muffed punts that, that just almost got called, didn't quite get called. Like just little small things like that can have the ultimate shift in the outcome of the game. And so I think it's a collection of all those things. And I, I hope, I, I believe that things will start to turn around here here very soon. Uh, at Yeti Delphia asks, are reporters limited from asking Brian Flores specific questions? And I wanted to get to this one because no, they are not. But there's a certain etiquette and respect and demeanor to those press conferences where if a guy tells you something, don't ask him 14 times over again. You know, Brian Flores has been very clear about how he's going to keep those conversations between him and whoever has those conversations, whether it's a player, negotiations, or talks with a different team. It's always been his philosophy to be that way. So this is nothing new. And I appreciate the consistency of that because if you start to say, oh, we're going to shoot down this rumor, then that means the other ones you don't shoot down get more validity. Does that make sense? So be consistent across it on all matters and have that same answer. And that way you're going to have the same approach from the reporters. And so I am glad the reporters, when I was in that room too, didn't bombard Coach with those questions because he's told the answer to us a hundred times. So that's that's why you got what you got, I believe. Next one here from at 2 lucky 1967 Do you think the lack of veterans on this team and inexperience in our coordinators is the biggest reason this team is where it is? Well, again, to kind of go back to that first question, I think it's part of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, Coach has talked about development of players, and we've talked on this podcast almost ad nauseum at this point about guys in this program who didn't start their career off with an absolute bang. Like it took some time to kind of season those guys and get the production you have out of them now. And I think that's true of coaches and players and anybody in any walk of life. Like a good example, like just myself to, to speak from my own experience, I feel way more comfortable interviewing people, asking questions at press conferences, doing the post game rate, like everything I've, I do, I have gotten better at. That's how it should be. Right. And so more experience, more reps. You, I think you'd expect to see some improvement across the board. And this is a young team, both on the coaching staff and on the roster. We're going to do a quick three-pack today because we're getting short on time. But number six, Michigan at number eight, Michigan State. Two players to really watch in this game, even though both these teams have a lot of good players on these team, on their team, obviously, two top ten squads. But Aiden Hutchinson, he's a surefire top ten pick next April. Power, skied, scheme-diverse top 10 pick off the edge there for Michigan. And then Kenneth Walker looks like a first round, maybe second round running back for me. Bell cow, three down, contact balance, can change the angle and the target and a blink right at the last second when when uh, defenders are pursuing him. I went a little bit 
in a different direction this week because we talked about so many of these same teams over and over again. So number 19, SMU at Houston. They have a pair of receivers there. Reggie Robinson, I sure like his game. He's one of the top players in that conference. Also like Danny Gray. I like him because he's explosive and also he reminds me of Chris Chambers. He's got that high cut with long arms build and it helps him go high point the football. Fun player to watch. And the guy throwing the football to them, Tanner Mordecai, is a possible late round draft pick as well. And then Grant Calcaterra, at Houston is a transfer from Oklahoma. Big play making tight end. I think he retired and came back to the game. Now he finds himself at Houston. He could be a draft pick this coming April. And Houston also has uh, Patrick Turner last year, or they had Patrick Turner last year, I should say, off the edge. He was a fun player to watch there. They have another guy in that defensive line that kind of reminds me of him, even though he's a defensive tackle. Six foot seven, 275 pounds. And it looks weird at times because he's so tall inside at that size, but he's explosive as hell. He can play in multiple spots, three technique one shade five tech same as logan hall long active hands good array of pass rush moves he loves the swim move and the arm over and that height can cause some pad level issues at times but it also helps him get the arm over move too so he's a lot of fun to watch and then fresno state at number 21 san diego state a couple of matchups I'm looking for here. Receiver Jalen Cooper from Fresno is an absolute burner. He should draw cornerback Taylor Hawkins for uh, SDSU, a six foot one, 205 pound corner who has excellent ball skills and can get into and stay in phase on those long routes. So I'll keep an eye on that. And then defensive end Aaron Mosby, six foot four, 250 pound edge against offensive tackle of San Diego State Zach Thomas. How about that name, Zachary Thomas? Six foot five, 300 pound tackle with an absolute mean streak. And that San Diego State offensive line has dudes every year because they run the ball so well and you see those guys pushing people off the football so again I know there's a bunch of big matchups but I wanted to go with these guys because we always talk about those same teams and those same players ahead of next year's draft which of course we'll cover very in depth here once the season concludes but just giving you guys a taste here on these Friday podcasts what to look for on the weekend last thing we do on these Friday podcasts NFL picks terrible last week seven and six 72 and 35 on the year. We took Arizona over Green Bay on Thursday. We'll see how that plays out. Falcons over the Panthers. Give me the Falcons to get over 500 and get back on track there after starting the season 0 and 2. Niners over the Bears. We got to root against the Niners for that draft pick, but in this game without Khalil Mack for the Bears, I think the Niners get this one. Browns over Steelers. I like the Lions. I'm taking the 0 and 7 Lions again over the Philadelphia Eagles. I think Jared Goff can have some success on that Philadelphia defense, and the Fighting Campbells get their first win. They've been playing and their asses off. So I want to see that for them. The Bills over Dolphins. Titans over the Colts. The toughest pick of the weekend for me right there. I'll take the running game of the Titans and I think a better the better quarterback situation there. I'll go with Tennessee Titans in that game. Give me the Bengals over the Jets. The Rams over the... Texans, give me the Chargers over the Patriots, a bounce back from last year's beat down the Patriots gave the Chargers. Jags over Seahawks. I'm just not buying into the Russell Wilson-less Seahawks at this point. I think Trevor Lawrence has gotten better every single game, so give me Jacksonville. Give me the football team over the Broncos, the Bucks over the Saints. Cowboys over Vikings, although I was back and forth on that one on Sunday night football, and then Chiefs over Giants on Monday night football at the Manning cast. Be sure to watch that. And then last thing here for you guys, Jalen Phillips. So I talked about the... Uh, the, the charity work off the top of the podcast there, but the Lotus House Shelter, Jalen Phillips teamed up with One Goal, One Dream as part of the Football Unites initiative, and they were out there for some arts and crafts, kind of like Jacoby's event. Just smiles for days from those kids. It's the best thing to see. Go check out our socials and MiamiDolphins.com to get a look at those. All right, guys, that's going to be my time on this Friday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. 
you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us that rating. Leave us that review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guys Seth and OJ. We do the postgame show together as well on 560 and Kiss Country. And, of course, the YouTube channel for media availabilities as well as Dolphins Today up now. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline, daddy is coming home. <laughs>